This is a Cato Special Podcast. I'm Caleb Brown. With his latest escalation, President Obama has more than doubled the number of U.S. troops in Afghanistan since his term began. Traditional conservatism rejects this kind of escalation, absent clear goals and triggers for departure. Former Florida Congressman Joe Scarborough, host of MSNBC's Morning Joe, spoke today at the Cato Institute's conference, Escalate or Withdraw, Conservatives and the War in Afghanistan. The full event is at Cato.org. What I found the most difficult issue to explain to conservatives who have really seen the definition of conservatism and a conservative foreign policy distorted over the past decade was the need for Republicans to show restraint abroad. And that's really what this is about. We we certainly can talk about Afghanistan, and we will, but we need to show restraint abroad Um, And we need to do it, first of all, to our own, to conservatives, but also we need to have leaders that are willing to go out and forcefully make this argument to the American people, because right now it's not only hard for conservative leaders to grasp the importance of restraint abroad, it's difficult for Americans to grasp. There's a new NBC News Wall Street Journal poll that came out two days ago. Barack Obama is upside down in his approval ratings when it comes to the economy, when it comes to health care, when it comes to just about every single issue, deficits, debt. But when it comes to his handling of Afghanistan, he's plus 18 percentage points. His handling of Iraq, he's plus 15 percentage points. When it comes to his handling, well, not actually his handling of Iran, but whether we should invade Iran. Actually, plus 14. Americans believe that if we think that Iran is moving towards having nuclear weapons, we should invade the third Muslim country in a decade. Uh, so with this backdrop, I would, rec- I would suggest that one of the reasons why those numbers is, are skewed as much as they are is in 2010, there's not much difference between the Republicans' view of foreign policy and the Democrats' view of foreign policy. And I've got to echo what Ed said. I, I, I don't really understand why the president's approval rating is so high when it comes to Afghanistan, because he's doubled the troops. This anti-war president has doubled the number of troops in Afghanistan to nearly 100,000. We've spent $33 billion more. He's asking for more. And he's continued, I think most uh, critically, he's, he's continued the transformation of the Afghanistan effort from a counterterrorism mission to a nation-building mission. There's no end game. There's no exit strategy. There's no definition of success for Afghanistan. We've got no idea what the ultimate price is going to be. And there's actually no answer to I believe, for Joe Biden, a very prescient question. If, in fact, Pakistan is the most dangerous country on the planet and the key to resolving the crisis in this area, why are we spending 50 times the amount of money in Afghanistan as we are in Pakistan? This policy doesn't make sense. It did to me in 2001, 
It simply doesn't anymore in 2010. And if Leon Panetta is to be believed that Al-Qaeda has been reduced to a quivering mass of a terrorist movement, great. Let's declare victory and bring our troops home. Lots of luck with that. But beyond Afghanistan, I think it's more important as we move forward to figure out what the conservative movement does and where we went wrong over the past decade. I'm sure you all have heard this quote before, but I started my chapter on foreign policy in my book with this quote, a quote of a certain former uh, Southern governor. We must be judicious in our use of the military. We will fight only when it is in the vital interest of the United States, when our mission is clear, and when the exit strategy is obvious. George W. Bush, 2000. We conservatives need to ask, why was it that the same cautious Republicans who resisted Bill Clinton's calls for military use in Bosnia, Kosovo, Haiti, Sudan, and Iraq adopt George W. Bush's preemption strategy without question? Why did so few conservatives criticize Mr. Bush's Wilsonian pronouncement that the United States of America would lead a global democratic revolution that would, his words, not mine, end tyranny on the globe? What exactly were we conservatives thinking during Mr. Bush's second inaugural address when the Republican president promised that U.S. troops would single-handedly export democracy and bring freedom and peace to all corners of the globe. And why did the same Republicans who quoted Colin Powell's doctrine to justify our restrained foreign policy approach in the 1990s when Bill Clinton was president, why did those same conservatives attack Colin Powell in 2002 when he urged, before going into Iraq, that we adopt the same approach. You know, when we Republicans controlled the Armed Services Committee in the 1990s, it, we, we constantly lectured the Clinton administration on the need for showing more prudence and more restraint in our foreign policy. We saw Bill Clinton's use of military force as undisciplined and reckless, and as one foreign affairs article stated at the time, the Clinton cabinet seemed to view foreign policy as an extension of social work. We conservatives used our majority in Congress to attack that approach as unfocused, undisciplined, and Wilsonian. Now, for most conservatives, the Cold War was a necessary evil. U.S. global involvement was the only option available to contain the communist threat. But after the Soviet Union fell, Republicans I served with in Congress believed that the United States should engage in less military adventurism and narrow our focus abroad. We were so cautious when we would lecture the Clinton administration that Madeleine Albright, then Secretary of State, angrily accused GOP leaders of standing in the way of humanitarian missions that she wanted to run by military use. And she was right. We did stand in the way of it. 
and we were proud of it. No conservative I worked with on the Armed Services Committee in Congress was comfortable with Bill Clinton's eagerness to dispatch troops to Haiti, Somalia, Bosnia, Kosovo. We were especially troubled with the Balkans crisis, believing that the lessons of history taught us that you should never involve U.S. troops in a three-sided way civil war. Conservatives repeatedly pressed the Clinton administration officials that would come testify before our Armed Services Committee to state the overriding national interests that justified risking U.S. casualties. They never could. I think the closest we got was Al Gore saying that if we didn't send troops to the Balkans, if we didn't send troops to Kosovo, our credibility within NATO would be damaged. Obviously, those prudent concerns faded once the Democratic commander-in-chief left town and the Republican uh, commander-in-chief uh, came into power. We're not the world's 911, as we said in the 1990s, and we regularly admonished Clinton aides who repeatedly ignored our warnings of an overstretched military. And, you know, we always would lecture Clinton officials uh, on what we consider to be the Magna Carta uh, of, 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 of conservative foreign policy. And that was the Weinberger Doctrine. And I think it bears repeating. Cap Weinberger, uh, after Beirut, got together with, uh, with people in the, in the Defense Department, and he said, you know, we really need to narrow the focus of when we send U.S. troops abroad. So we don't repeat the mistakes of Vietnam. We don't repeat the mistakes of Beirut. And he had a young, uh, young Army uh, man working with him, Colin Powell. And this is what they came up with. U.S. troops should only be deployed when, one, it is vital to U.S. national interests and our troop commitment is full and overwhelming. Two, the objectives for our troops are clearly defined. And three, leaders will be willing to constantly reassess troop levels. Four, Americans support the war before the engagement. And five, U.S. combat troops are sent in only as a last resort. You can apply those looking back, obviously, to some wars that we got involved with and to George W. Bush's uh, policy pronouncements, especially during his second inaugural address. But I think more importantly for this conversation, we need to apply it to where we go in the future with Afghanistan. And I would like Barack Obama. I would like Harry Reid. I would like Nancy Pelosi. I'd like John Boehner. I'd like Mitch McConnell. I'd like Republicans and Democrats alike to tell me at this point in 2010 what is, quote, vital to U.S. national interests in Afghanistan. And after answering that question, I would like them to tell me, quote, what are the objectives for our troops? are clearly defined objectives. And then, of course, what you brought up as well, most troubling. We've been in Afghanistan for nine years. We still have not had a leader, Republican or Democrat alike, to tell us what's the end game? What's our exit strategy? 
What is the trigger? And this was always the key. Colin Powell said this was always the key to the Weinberger Doctrine. You never send troops in until you know what the trigger is to bring them home. And I've got to say, you look what George H.W. Bush did in the first Gulf War. He said, we're going to go and liberate Kuwait. And then we're going to bring our troops home. George H.W. Bush faced a torrent of criticism because after liberating Kuwait, he had generals that wanted to go up to Baghdad. He said no. The trigger was, our end game was, liberating Kuwait. And he brought the troops home. He showed discipline. He avoided a lot of the mistakes that his son didn't avoid. And you know what? Republicans have paid for what George W. Bush did when it came to spending at home and foreign policy abroad. So I think it's very important that we take a look back at what George W. Bush did, what Republicans in Congress did, how we lost our way, and how that should guide us as we move forward. We've got to learn from the mistakes of the past eight years, just as Colin Powell learned from America's tragic involvement in Vietnam. And it seems to me that, and this goes to the movement that has a head but no body, as Ed said, it seems to me that the central lesson to draw from the tragedies of the past eight years when it comes to foreign policy is that dogma and rigid ideology are the natural enemies of conservative foreign policy. We live in a world that is brutish and nasty, a world that can't be fit into a neat, tidy, ideological, dogmatic box. There are no easy-to-apply rules for international conflict. And those, and this is the most important thing, those who are still arguing in 2010 that we can somehow export democracy across the globe or rebuild other countries on the other side of the world in our image. These are the people that we have to call out today, tomorrow, and every day as the dangerous radicals that they are. History has proven them and their worldview to be dangerous and to be radical. There's a great irony to me as somebody that fought the Clinton administration through the 1990s for not showing a sufficient amount of restraint in foreign policy. Uh, and the great irony is that we conservatives are now being viewed as people being in a movement that are predisposed to militarism. And that impression has to be changed. Conservative leaders once again need to be wary of ideologues who seek to use American troops to promote social policy on a global stage. And we also, just fiscally, we need to understand that this country, we have bared a disproportionate share of the world security responsibilities for too long. We've got no choice now for many reasons but to begin showing restraint and backing away from some of our long-standing military commitments. 
as conservatives like to say to flustered Clinton administration officials over and over and over again in the 1990s, America can't be the world's 911. We can't go it alone anymore, and we've been going it alone for too long. We need to realize that the U.S. military is overstretched, the United States is facing a crippling debt, our economy's in crisis, our people are war-weary, and America's days as being the world's watchmen are over. I ended uh, my chapter in foreign policy with a book by Russell Kirk, and I, I think I may actually frame this for you since you obviously are, are riled by neocons. I think, I think you'll like this. I think it applies very well to um, the neocons, your view of neocons. Russell Kirk wrote this in The Conservative Mind. Men not being angels, a terrestrial paradise cannot be contrived by metaphysical enthusiasts. Yet an earthly hell can be ar arranged readily enough by ideologues of one stamp or another. You look back over the past 10 years, and I think it's safe to say that the world suffered through enough of those earthly hells, not only over the past decade, but over the past century. And American conservatives should make it their mission uh, to never again be party to an ideological war. Joe Scarborough is host of MSNBC's Morning Joe. He represented Florida's first congressional district for several years in the 90s. You can watch the full event, Escalate or Withdraw, Conservatives and the War in Afghanistan at Cato.org.